Tommy kills Bozo, he really kills him. Bozo has no face, that is a closed casket funeral. everybody welcome back to witch fix i literally just finished recording the first fear street review for the 1994 movie and now we're going into 1978 so i hope you brought your water wings we're going to camp the camp thing just seems like a weird thing to me as a as a british person by the way like we don't have that here why do the parents all want to get rid of their kids in the summer what are they up to what are they planning but anywho uh, so we start this movie Basically, at the end of the first one, uh, we start with uh, Dina and Josh in trouble, with Sam tied up, and then we go over to see Burnett, who is the woman who survived the first camp massacre that we're going to be learning about in this movie. And, to be honest, I didn't enjoy this movie as much as the first one. It had some really great moments, but it also really failed for me at least, on one count, which is that it tried to have a twist at the end and failed at pulling it off because of something that it did in the first 10 minutes. So that was unfortunate. Whereas I think the kind of twist ending of the second one, of the first one, which was like, again, a little bit predictable that Sam would go evil, was at least not, you know, kind of a foregone conclusion from the, the outset. But anywho, we meet CB, who is, you know, the survivor, she has many, many clocks in her house. All of them are labelled with, like, dinner and feed the dog and go to bed and things like that. So they go off and she has to, like, do things. Which is kind of weird and not really explained in the film as such, like, why she would need these things. Not really sure why. I mean, it's, it's I guess, a shorthand way of saying, here is a very troubled person. But no real reasoning behind it at all. She goes and checks, like, all 18 locks on all of her doors, um, but is called away before she can lock one window to go feed her dog. And then we see Mayor Will Good on her television, who is the brother of Nick Good, the sheriff, who we've already met. Uh, and Will Good is the mayor of Sunnyvale, so he's, like, in good boy town. Um, we see a flashlight shining in her windows and she immediately freaks out, shoves the dog in a cupboard and does she take the dog out of the cupboard? Do we see her do that? That dog may not be okay. But yeah, she, she sees this light through the window, she's running around, uh, someone comes in through the unlocked window and she's about to attack them when she realises it's Dina who identifies herself and Josh coming in behind her and they're like, hey, um, you called us back, we need your help because Sam's possessed. It takes a little bit of convincing because she doesn't want to be involved. She basically sticks to the line, there is no way to beat the witch. Get out of this town as fast as you can because you are fucked. But when Dina gives a heartfelt plea for true love, she relents and they bring Sam in and tie her to a radiator, lovingly probably, and then they all sit down for a good old trip to Flashback Mountain. 
CB gets this diary out uh, and it has a lot of stuff about camp in it, but it also has this symbol, which um, is a very sort of occult looking symbol called the Witch's Mark. Um, so obviously there's some lore in this book. We're going to find out some more stuff about the witch in this film. I was very excited. And she says, here is a picture from the first day of camp. And one week later, my sister was dead. Dun, dun, dun. We go into a flashback and we're introduced to this red-headed character. Um, I think she's played by a girl who is in Stranger Things. I think I remember her from. She's a really good actress. Like I really enjoyed her in this this movie. She pulls it off really well. Basically, all the acting so far in these films is pretty good. But we see her running through the woods and she's unexpectedly clotheslined by a youth. Uh, and then a bunch of other youths appear and they call her a witch. And they say she's going to hang and they drag her to a tree and tie her up. Um, and they yell at her because she's stolen like $10 from one of them. And they call her Ziggy. Um, and she's kind of taunted by the ringleader of this group called Sheila who then tries to burn her arm with a cigarette lighter. And we're introduced then to Will, who is the current mayor of Sunnyvale, so Will Good. Um, he's also in the group, and he's not doing anything to stop this. But then suddenly, Nick arrives. Nick and a guy who is either called Kirk or Kurt. He is such a small part that I didn't care enough, but I'm going to call him Kurt. But they arrive. Nick is a camp counsellor, certified good boy. He breaks up this kind of altercation, and Kurt is very Kurt with Ziggy and is like, you've been causing trouble. You burnt the camp flag. You let rabbits out. You did all this bad stuff. We're kicking you out of camp. And it's Nick who says, well, actually, she's been burnt with this lighter. And if she leaves now, we're going to have to explain why that happened. And that's not going to look good. So he kind of uses a little bit of political know-how to make it so that she can stay. Although she doesn't really appreciate this. Uh, she's told that it's her last chance and and she leaves. We find out that it's something called the Colour War that night, which seems to be like half the camp puts on red t-shirts, half put on blue t-shirts, and then they play games like Capture the Flag, which I guess would be fine, except they divide them by where they live. Like they have like the Sunnyvale people in red and the Shadyside people in blue, and it just seems like very politically charged as opposed to just like randomly assigning people colors so bad idea camp we're introduced to cindy who is ziggy's big sister and kind of a press she's basically like um the blonde girl who dies at the beginning of the nightmare on elm street movie that's who she most reminded me of although i think she kind of slept with her boyfriend maybe she reminds me of the dark-haired girl from nightmare on elm street anywho Obviously, the whole setting of the movie is very similar to Friday the 13th. We've got, you know, campers out there having sex and it's all bad and wrong and they're going to die first. But she's kind of the prissy one and she and her boyfriend, Tommy, are meant to be cleaning the outhouse with Alice, who is, I guess, another camp counsellor, and her boyfriend. But they're gone and they find them doing it in a, in a sort of side room and being stoned and obviously being very different to what cindy is doing with her time they want cindy to go to nurse lane who's apparently her friend and or someone she knows and get them drugs like prescription drugs from her but she's like no drugs aren't cool yo so this is kind of the point at which the movie has done something stupid because it introduces us to ziggy first and the person who you see at the start of the flashback is the person who's telling the story 
or like they are in that scene but the movie now wants us to think that cindy is the main character and that cb is cindy and that that's you know her name begins with a c so does cindy um i wasn't buying it even for a second mostly because when ziggy was introduced i thought she was being called siggy which is what some british people call cigarettes but even when i found out that it was ziggy i was like well i mean we saw her first she was the one at the beginning of the story she doesn't look that different to the woman telling the story who is kind of got like reddish brown hair even though she's very ginger in the flashback you know that doesn't really mean anything and then at the end of the movie they try and pull this big thing like oh it was actually cindy that dies and it's like well i kind of knew that was coming and it kind of killed me because it was like the movie thought it was doing something really clever but really it should have started with cindy if it wanted me to think that so there we go that's my gripe for the day ziggy goes to see nurse lane to get her like burn mark tended to and she sees in nurse lane's office the book that we were shown in the 1990s obviously a lot cleaner now but it has the witch's mark in it and it belongs to the nurse so ziggy asks her about the witch's mark and it was only then that i realized that nurse lane was related to ruby lane the girl who killed all of her friends and this is her mother who's obviously still struggling with what ruby did and ruby's subsequent death so she has a lot of emotions again very kind of friday the 13th she really reminded me of like mrs Voorhees, um because she says things like you know ruby wouldn't have snapped and killed people for no reason if she did that there had to be a reason and they had to deserve it and sometimes killing is justified and it seemed like she was blaming other people for what had happened to ruby the same way mrs Voorhees blames randy teens for the death of her son so there we go she begins to like rant about killing people and then freaks ziggy out so ziggy goes to cindy and is like hey something weird's going on but cindy has no time for her she's been cleaning a lot of moss out of the uh the really disgusting looking uh, kind of outhouse block doesn't want to talk to ziggy because ziggy's constantly getting into trouble and she's only there because cindy is there and their mum can't take care of ziggy so she had to come as well there's a lot of like tension between these two while cleaning that evening um cindy goes to the store cupboard in the kitchen to get something and as she walks past it we see that the knife drawer is open big red flags uh someone is moving around washing in front of the camera these movies really love that move of just like someone passing in front of the camera uh she goes back to the mess hall to see tommy and then the nurse comes in branching the knife and says i'm sorry but i can't save you um i've seen your name on the wall and one way or another you will die tonight which is interesting stuff to find out about she lunges at tommy which oh no but he kind of easily outguns her in this because he is a young teenage boy and she is an older lady who's attacking him without the element of surprise so he knocks her unconscious and then she's taken away by paramedics and the police sheila and her little buddy buds taunt ziggy again and nick is kind of looking at her and it's very clear that he's crushing on her so we get a little bit of a sense of that dynamic cindy uh, tommy and two random guys uh, gary the goofball and some hippie girl who i don't think we ever learn her name i'm gonna call her moonshine um 
they discuss the attack and what could have caused it and Cindy theorises that it could have been drugs that Nurse Lane was on drugs and that's what caused her to go crazy because Cindy doesn't want to believe in any curses or magical shit she just wants to believe in rational logic and she's probably going to see some shit by the end of this movie they kick off the colour war with Capture the Flag and we've learned that Sunnyvale and the undefeated champs there's a lot of tension there's a lot of shit that could go wrong Cindy finds Ziggy to ask her about the nurse, what she was trying to tell her earlier, but Ziggy's not having it because she tried to tell her earlier and she wasn't listening. She's also getting paint for, I guess, revenge, uh, and this is revealed to be true later. Um, we hear a little bit of how Ziggy believes in the curse, she believes that they're all doomed because they live in Shadyside and no one can escape the curse, their lives just turn to shit. Uh, she argues with her sister who obviously believes the polar opposite of that and says basically Sydney no matter how many preppy shirts you wear or extra credit assignments you do or work you do at the camp and money you save you're as doomed as the rest of us and then um, Cindy calls her a monster which is what someone has painted all over Ziggy's kind of bunk section like that she's a witch that she's a bitch and that she's a monster Hence the need for revenge paint. Tommy starts to feel faint and hears his name whispered and there's flies around. So he's probably going to go the way of Ryan and get possessed like in the first movie. Um, Cindy gets him to let her into the infirmary so they can go through the nurse's stuff and try and find something to give to the police to prove, mostly to Cindy, that what is going on is not a curse. And she manages to turn up an unmarked bottle of pills, which she suggests might be the drugs that are responsible. They also find the book, and we get a bit of new lore from different parts of the book being read. And in the first film, it was very like her, like Sarah the witch, her hand was cut off, or she cut her own hand off, and therefore she maintains a grip on the land. But there's more to it than that because we learn that she made a deal with the devil and cut her hand off as part of that on Satan's stone for eternal life, uh, which scarred the soil beneath with the witch's mark and cursed the land. So a little bit more lore there. Alice and the stoner guy whose name we don't really find out. So I'm going to call him Bozo arrive they are looking for drugs in the nurse's office and they very swiftly take the book and the unmarked pill bottle from uh, cindy who is kind of a limp blanket and can't really stop them doing anything they read spookily from the book revealing more lore as they mock cindy which is when the witch is near blood will fall which explains the spontaneous nosebleeds from the first movie although it doesn't really explain why only sam and dina got them and kate didn't neither did anybody else on the bus i don't know why it only affects some people maybe we'll find out later and it says that the curse will carry on until the hand is reunited with the body so basically you need to find the witch's hand and stick it back on her body and that will stop the curse there's also a map of the camp which has been doctored to show key landmarks from the town that used to be there before Sunnyvale or Shadyside existed called Union which is kind of a not so subtle message that before there were two towns there was one conjoined like combined town where they were united but Alice and Bozo decide to take some of the tablets from the pill bottle and then follow the map to try and find the 
house of the witch or the hand i can't remember what they're actually looking for but they do end up at the witch's house so i'm going to say that um bozo notices that the tablets say l484 on them and tries to remember what that means because it sounds familiar tommy hears more voices but tells no one because he's untrustworthy and then they all go out into the forest alice and bozo ahead and cindy and tommy chasing them to try and get the book and the tablets back as evidence Nick finds Ziggy in her room, mixing paint with water to try and make, like, Carrie-style blood. They have a bonding moment where they both read Stephen King, except it's the 1970s, everyone reads Stephen King. Everyone now reads Stephen King. Um, but <laughs> he might as well have just said, oh, I drink water too. But there we go. He says he has a better idea for revenge and takes her to the science and nature building. Alice and Bozo take some more pills, and he's still trying to remember what they're for. They get sort of out into the woods, and at this point I noticed that Tommy was wearing the Camp Killer shirt, like the same lumberjack shirt as the Camp Killer from the first movie. It was not an incredible surprise that he was going to turn out to be the Camp Killer. I don't think the movie really intended it to be. I feel like this is just something you were meant to notice. They find Alice and Bozo at the house which has like a sort of stone cellar area which is still there underground bozo goes off to pee in the woods they talk for a little bit and alice is clearly mad at cindy because of something that happened ages ago where cindy snitched on her for some reason so their friendship was destroyed bozo returns from peeing and says he's remembered um what the pills stand for and that they are tylenol so they're not causing you know psychotic breaks that cause nurses to randomly stab people which is good because he and alice took a lot of them they go into the stone basement and find recent signs of occupation there's candles that have been recently lit there's poppets hanging from the ceiling skulls glass bottles a lot of witch shit um it basically looks like my ideal house there's also an axe on the wall the camp killer's weapon of choice so you know we're getting pretty close to tommy's final phase here they find in kind of a separate area of the basement, which is through a kind of very low archway, like a fireplace that they have to crawl through, the carved witch's mark on the ground with a lit candle in the centre, and a bunch of stones with names carved on them, which they do not look at immediately. They just kind of look at other stuff. Bozo decides to leave because he's bored, and he leaves this room to go back to the first room where Tommy is sitting, apparently in some sort of trance. Row, row. Cindy starts pulling books off a bookcase and is like, this basement carries on. This isn't even all of it. It goes on further. Uh, she hears a whisper of her name, which is creepy. And then Alice finally looks at the names on the wall and realises that they are of some of the killers that they know, like Ruby Lane. And that the most recent one is Tommy Slater, which I swear Sam Slater was like the name, or was it Sam Frazier? Either way, I was starting to think maybe that this was kind of connected to maybe original families from the 1660s, that maybe the nosebleeds weren't random. It was affecting families who were connected to the original like witch trial. Uh, and maybe that's who the killers were as well, that it was trying to destroy their families by turning them all into monsters or bringing out their own monstrous sides. So that was my theory. Tommy kills Bozo. He really kills him. Bozo has no face. That is a closed casket funeral. 
Alison's Indie scream, and they go back into the basement and then down a little tunnel, which helpfully collapses so that Tommy can't follow them. But he doesn't die in the collapse. They can still hear him moving around, uh, and it's not looking good for anybody back at camp. We see Sheila get a note summoning her to the outhouse on behest of Will Good, who she has a crush on. And then when she gets there, there's another little note saying, look up. And then Nick and Ziggy dump a whole bucket of like cockroaches and tarantulas and shit on her face and lock her in the outbuilding. So they're having a great time. They don't know that there's a murder on the loose. Alice and Sydney find themselves in a cavern network beneath the house and decide to try and escape. Cindy reminds Alice that there's a whole camp full of children up there. There's also a man with an axe. They need to get out of here. So that, that's unfortunate. They have a, a little bit of an argument, and Cindy storms off alone to try and get out, but ends up going around in a big circle and straight back where Alice is. So that's unfortunate again. But they then realise that the witch's mark in the book is a map. It has like the same number of junctions at one point as the area that they are in. And so Cindy says that the legend says that the witch's actions caused the mark to be scarred into the earth. And that's what the cavern system is. It is the witch's mark. So they use it as a map to try and get out. Meanwhile, Tommy kills a small child. Um, I will say it was kind of interesting to me, like none of the Sunnyvale kids actually get killed. Um, they all kind of leave right before the killer arrives to kill them, which kind of makes sense because it's the shady side people who are cursed. Um, but it, it was kind of interesting to me that they just left, that the killers didn't ever really target them, except at one point, I guess. But again, it wasn't like lethal. So that was interesting to me because surely if like the witch was hanged by the people of Union, what's the difference between Shadyside and Sunnyvale now? Because they both came from that same town. So surely they should both be being targeted, but they're not. So that seemed inconsistent. Meanwhile, Nick and Ziggy flirt because, you know, vengeance is an aphrodisiac. And we find out that Ziggy hates snakes, which doesn't really have much to do with the plot, but it does sort of affect one thing later on. We find out that Nick's dad is the police chief of Sunnyvale and he's meant to be following him in his footsteps, although I think he ends up being sheriff of Shadyside, so not sure what happens there. And Ziggy reveals that she and Cindy used to be really close and have fun, but then Cindy changed and became determined to escape the town and seemed to resent her. They share a little bit of their lives. One thing I found interesting was that Nick says that his dad has really put upon him that he is a legacy and that his family depend on him to like continue. And it feels very much like if him and his brother are descended from maybe like the pastor or other leaders of the town in the past, that maybe he has kind of a role in this, that he's maybe doing something or part of some system which has been going on for a long time. Anyway, they kiss, but they're interrupted by a scream because the kid's body has just been found. So the whole camp begins to panic. Alice and Cindy navigate the passages below the witch's house. And Cindy uh, says that she doesn't think that she could kill Tommy, even if he is a murderer now. That she doesn't actually think that she could kill anybody. You know, she, she just doesn't think that she's capable of doing that. She froze earlier when the nurse attacked. They then reach 
the sort of center of the witch's mark and they find the walls are running with like black goo there's tons of flies everywhere and more disconcerting there's a giant fleshy kind of heart in the floor but, but also kind of like a tumor it's very bubbly but it's beating like a heart and they're just looking at it like well that's not normal and if anything they didn't react enough uh, i would have expected screaming and maybe some light retching alice wanders over and touches it baller move how much tylenol did she have but um, she, she touches the heart and she begins to see uh, visions of past victims. So she looks at Cindy and sees Cindy all like bloody and wounded like a, a corpse. And then she freaks out and she runs through the tunnels seeing, you know, eyeless Puritan children and a bunch of other victims until she finally falls down and breaks her ankle. So don't touch the heart is what I'm taking away from this. The camp power goes out for a minute and then comes back on. Uh, the phones are dead. All the camps are all the campers are panicking they're still missing like a hundred of them because they're all over the woods playing this stupid game so nick and goofball gary decide to go trying to round them up and he tells ziggy to stay in the mess hall with all the other campers and be safe but once he's gone she's reminded that sheila is still locked in the outhouse where they left her and no one else knows she's there so when she can't get nick to come back because he's gone he can't hear her she goes to try and rescue Sheila. I would not have bothered. Anyway, Kirk and... Oh, what did I call that hippie girl? Moonlight? Moonshine. Kirk and Moonshine are having sex. There's two very energetic sex scenes in this movie, which is, again, very Friday the 13th. But they're doing it. And then Tommy comes to get them, and he kills Moonshine. But he, again, doesn't kill Kurt, because he's, like, a sunny veiler. Um, which, again, makes no sense to me. I'm hoping this gets explained in the third movie. Alice tells Cindy that she's next because she's seen her dead, which is very disconcerting. Please don't touch the creepy floor heart again. Um, but she's kind of seen like past and future victims, so I guess that makes sense. And Cindy admits that she was a snitch and admits that she was just desperate to believe that that was a curse and she wanted to be perfect and to get out of town. Um, and that she's resented her sister for reminding her that that's impossible. And then Alice reveals that she isn't happy either, and that all of this, like, devil-may-care, freewheeling, fun attitude is just her own way of coping with being in Sunnyside. And it's really quite a grim scene, because both of them are so, like, opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're both unhappy in exactly the same way. Cindy then sees lots of red moss, and realises that they are directly under the outhouse, which he was clearing of moss earlier. So they must be at camp. Um, and there's like toilet paper and stuff like coming down the wall of this like cave. It looks so disgusting. I wouldn't want to be down there. I would almost take the fleshy floor heart over, you know, poo walls. Nick rounds up some campers and we see four shady side children being murdered by Tommy, uh, which is again unfortunate but it just shows that he's kind of making his way across the camp ziggy heads to the outside house but when she goes in she's attacked by sheila who you know she got covered in bugs she's very upset alice and cindy have located like the actual like reverse of the toilets they can see the kind of wooden seat area and when gary breaks up the fight between uh ziggy and sheila well i mean ziggy has not sheila unconscious but he, he breaks up the one-sided fight they hear Alice and Cindy calling out from beneath the turlet, so they decide to use a rope to get them out. 
Uh, Nick then finds the bodies of the, the four most recent victims. He throws up. Kurt blunders into him, like, babbling about how the girl he just slept with has been murdered. Nick takes charge and tells him, get everybody on the bus to leave. And in 15 minutes, ring the bell. That'll be the signal that you're leaving. For all the stragglers, just get out of here as soon as you can. So he sends him off to do that. They try and winch the two girls out of the bottom of the toilet. Uh, Alice first on this like rope and bucket combo that we used to drop the insects earlier. But Tommy bursts in and chops Gary's head off while he's like pulling her up. So he can't pull anymore. He got no head. So Alice goes like right back to the bottom of shit mountain. Gary goes on the floor and stays there because he's not alive anymore. Siggy panics and runs into the woods where she collides with Nick. I'm not entirely sure what happened to Sheila. Um, she just kind of vanishes. Maybe that's the, like, aunt of Kate. I wasn't really paying attention to last names, but she just kind of disappears and we don't really see her again, I don't think. Ziggy tells Nick that it's the witch and he doesn't believe her because he's from Sunnyvale and she's like, I thought you were different. And he's like, okay, I believe you. She buys this because she's dumb. Um, so the bell then goes, that was a real quick 15 minutes. Like, I think if you timed that in the movie, it was only seven minutes, but there we go. Um, the bell goes, he says, go, get on the bus, leave, and I will deal with everything here. Tommy then finds them, and they get slightly trapped in the science building. A snake gets loose and crawls over Ziggy while she's trying to hide, and she has to not scream. But then Tommy grabs her by the hair anyway and, like, gets her. He puts the axe into Nick's leg, like, hits him with it, and Nick's like, ah, my leg. That's a pretty faithful reenactment right there. I'll take my Oscar now. Um, but he tells her to run and, and Ziggy runs. So we don't see Nick again so he can come back later. Because we already know he makes it. We've seen him in the 90s. Alice then says that the witch emerged at the mess hall, which is where the meeting house was. And in the book it says she emerged at the meeting house. So theoretically there must be an opening there that they can get out through. Which, I mean, it's been hundreds of years, but sure, Alice. So they decide to... Like, she decides to, like, find the way out. She tells Cindy to go and find the way out without her because she can't walk because of her leg, and Cindy runs away. This movie has so many people being, like, told to run and told to leave people behind, and they do. And it's great. That almost never happens in films. Not without, like, a 20-minute wait and a speech. So I was very happy about that. Uh, Ziggy gets to the bus just as it drives away, and then she sees Tommy coming for her, and she's like, Oh, great. Uh, then we get back to Alice, who's still at the bottom of Ship Mountain. Her nose starts to bleed, and she realises that this means the witch is near, because of what she's read in the book. And so she starts tearing up the moss, looking for the hand, because the hand must be nearby. I don't know why her nose only bleeds now, when both she and Cindy were hanging out at the bottom of Ship Mountain for, like, 25 minutes. But okay, movie. Cindy, meanwhile, finds the grate in the mess hall floor that she can see through from the catacombs and tries to get out, but it's screwed down. Ziggy enters the mess hall, but for some reason puts music on. I guess to try and hide the sound of her, like, running around from the killer who's pursuing her, but it means she also can't hear Cindy at the grate, so that's unfortunate. Ziggy grabs a knife and hides in a cupboard so that she can get Tommy from behind when he comes in looking for her. She stabs him in the back and after a short scuffle um, she manages to get a potato sack over his head and tries to like smother him with it which doesn't work but has the side effect of making him look a thousand times more terrifying because that's how he got the bag on his head. 
Um, so now he looks even more like a mad serial killer. Cindy finally gets out from under the grate after kicking it for a really long time and has no qualms about killing Tommy now that he's attacking her sister. She stabs him approximately 40,000 times and he lies down and is dead for a, a good long while. The sisters tearfully reunite and then Alice comes out of the floor like, you will not believe the things I've seen. And she shows them the witch's hand. She says they need to take it to the witch's body, which is buried at the hanging tree, which is on the map. So they need to get there, put it with the body and all of this will be over. I'm sure it's going to be that easy and nothing will go wrong. Ziggy's nose then bleeds uh, onto her hand and onto the bone hand as she's holding it. And she gets the visions of the witch. So this is obviously the, the moment where she saw the witch from the newspaper article. The creepy heart at the bottom of the catacombs starts to pulse as this happens and kind of spews out something that rapidly forms into a body. So something has been triggered here. Dead killers are on their way to get them. Tommy also begins to reanimate. So, you know, he's been called in for extra duty. After a really passionate speech from Alice about how, you know, this town has beaten the shit out of her since she was a very small child and she wants to fix it and change things, she gets killed by Tommy. Rip, Alice. You were no Kate, but I still loved you. Cindy then decapitates him with a shovel, but he gets better later. And they hear Ruby singing as she comes out of the, the hole of the grate. So, you know, killers are on the loose. They're coming to find them. They run to try and get to the hanging tree. And they're pursued by someone with like a weird baby face mask and a bat, who is probably one of the killers that, that we were told about earlier. We do see the milkman later as well, but I wasn't sure who the like bat baby face was. That meant to be the Humpty Dumpty killer. I'm not sure, but he's there. They dig up at the bottom of the tree and they just find a stone which says on it, the witch forever lives. So someone has taken the bones from under this tree and put them somewhere else, which is where they were discovered in the 90s. So they're not under the tree. They're fucked. Cindy tells Ziggy to run because she makes this huge leap in logic that they're after Ziggy because her blood went on the bones, which, I mean, yes, she's right, but I don't see how she did that mental math with the facts that she already knew. But she tells Ziggy to run. She'll take on the six serial killers and buy her some time. She buys her, like, at least a good third of a second uh, before she's killed by Tommy and Ziggy is grabbed and stabbed by the milkman. Um, Tommy proceeds to, like, obliterate Cindy's ribcage. Like, he keeps hitting her with the axe, which, again, like, the movie tries to pull it so, like, oh, we think Cindy's the one who's going to get resurrected because her name begins with a C. But she has no chest. How is anyone going to do CPR on her? I'm beyond mad that this was an attempt at a twist. But anywho, they reach out to each other and they're like, nothing will ever come between us again, and then they both die. So it's kind of like... I mean, it's not a good end, but it kind of wraps up their story very neatly. You know, you wouldn't want one to continue without the other. Bam! Nick arrives with his bleeding leg and does CPR on Ziggy. And the voiceover of her in the present says, you know, I wish he hadn't brought me back, which is all very sad. It's revealed that Ziggy's real name is Christine, um, which is, again, like kind of a non-twist and annoyed me. And in the present day, sort of ending the flashback, Ziggy says that no one believed her story and that when they asked Nick, 
he wouldn't back her up. He wouldn't say anything because he was from Sunnyvale and he was going to be the police chief and he couldn't say that he believed in the witches and ghosts, killers and all this stuff. So he betrayed her and lied. And she says there is no end to the curse because we don't know where the bones are. This is the point at which Josh and Dina are like, we found the bones. This is great news. Now we just need the hand. So they need to go find the hand, which has fallen into the hole that they dug at the tree. And the tree is the big tree from the mall, which I felt would be important when they originally showed it. So they go there. It's miraculously still there and didn't get moved during construction, which, okay, movie. Like, they made it sound like they built the mall by, like, literally, like, building a small wall around the tree and then building them all over it, and it's like, I don't think that's how construction works, but all right, they find the hand, Ziggy calls Nick, and is like, you know, I need to speak to you, Dina drives out to the body, and leaves Josh in the car, and takes the hand to where they had the bones wrapped up in Peter's jacket, she puts the hand on the body, and is like, have your stupid hand back, bitch, she then goes really stupidly cross-eyed, like, her eyes just, like, point inwards at her nose, like, and I'm like, if you're gonna pretend you're having a vision, don't pull that face. This is a very serious moment. But she has a vision of the witch, like, Seraphir, uh, leaning over, like, a trough, washing a bloody knife, and then suddenly, Sarah has Dina's face, and it's like, Dina is living this memory, um... So that's obviously, I guess, where the third film's going to pick up from, is just this, again, long flashback from Sarah Fia's perspective, and then maybe we're going to find out some twists, some turns, some gags, some utter buffoonery. What is going to happen? Don't know. We'll find out tomorrow, but I'm very excited. This is quite a compelling um, series of films. Although one thing I will say is that something feels very compelling when you don't know what's going on like it's quite easy to create a story where no one knows what's going on where it feels like there's secrets around every corner where will they be revealed but to actually deliver on that in a satisfying way that's the real skillful part and that's where a lot of things fall down so i'm excited to watch the third film to get back in time to the witch trials get some really witchy goings on but also i'm slightly worried that having built up basically four hours of backstory that the third film won't be able to carry off the twist the the amazing mystery kind of resolution at the end because i feel like this movie kind of failed at being very twisty it had the kind of failed twist of cindy being not the one to live which is very easy to predict if you know you've ever seen a movie before um and the kind of i guess the twist of nick betraying her but we already know that that's kind of who he is he's not incredibly helpful in the first movie so why would he be any more helpful in the past so that's that's a little bit of a shame i also felt like the first movie had a lot more to play around with it didn't sort of stick to scream as an idea uh it kind of didn't do a lot of the tropes from those sorts of films whereas this one it was very on the nose it was very like we're in a summer camp there's a guy with a big axe chasing people through the woods and it felt more uh cliche because it had incorporated so many cliche things from that kind of film like era 
but it had mainly taken them from one franchise and not kind of shopped around for a few more references, which would have been a little bit more interesting uh, just to see like a few different things. And also because I guess we've kind of seen the killers before in the first movie, it was less shocking to see them again. And we didn't really get to see like the milkman or the Humpty Dumpty killer up close or interact with them in sort of a meaningful way. Out of all of the killers introduced so far, I like Ruby the most because she has kind of a thing, like she feels more like a character. She sings a song when she arrives because the real Ruby wanted to be a singer. So she sings this kind of haunting song. She flicks her razor back and forth. You can see her face. She's not wearing a mask. So you can kind of connect with her more as a, a character and not just as, you know, a costume holding a sharp object. Um... So I was hoping to get more of that from, like, the Milkman, because, again, he's just a guy, but we didn't see a huge amount of him with screen time, so that was a bit of a shame. So I'm looking forward to the third one, hoping we maybe get to see a little bit more of some of the other killers, learn a bit more about the lore, uh, and I will review that for you guys tomorrow after I have rested my voice. In the meantime, do recommend any other movies that you'd like me to watch, uh, any other sort of horror movies or witchy-themed action films or just anything really I'm, I'm kind of at a dearth of recommendations so drop those recommendations in the comments and in the meantime i'll see you in the next one